Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. made it to session four. I've been telling you in the previous sessions that the first three sessions were going down to the roots below the surface and now we are ready to move on. We're ready to find out how in wisdom we walk freely with our mats rolled up so to speak to use the John 5 example that we just came from. We are going to be talking about a tool that God has given us called boundaries. I'm going to introduce it a little bit from a biblical perspective, and then my mom's going to come up here and talk practically with you about how to set boundaries in your life. And she will share during, during her time that, that boundaries often serve like a door or a gate, um, letting in the good things, letting out the bad things, and concerning our hearts, that's what we want to be mindful of. We shift to speaking in this way because we believe that you are in healing, that the Lord has done a radical shift in your life, whether you feel that yet or not, or whether you experience the fruit of that yet or not, but that you are about to be walking freely, not just on a mat. So we want to talk about how to protect the work that the Lord has been doing in your heart, that cultivating, that gardening, that uprooting, so to speak. We went and looked at those roots below the surface. We let him, him bring his warm light, his living water into those, those areas. And so now we want to talk about protecting with boundaries those areas that are very precious. So just a couple of things that I want to note from a practical standpoint. Think about the natural function of your heart. Um, the natural function of your heart is that it is central to your life. All that is major runs through the organ that is your heart. When there is a blockage in your heart in the natural, it causes harm and poses threat to the rest of your body. So we know that heart issues are very dangerous issues. And while that's true in the natural, we want to be mindful of it when we're talking about our spiritual heart. And really what we mean by that is the core of our beings, the core of who God has made us to be. The Lord uses a phrase or a word in the book of Proverbs that we're going to use interchangeably when we talk about hearts in this session. The book of Proverbs says that, that your heart is your wellspring. Uh, so to your translation may read, um, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of your life, or guard your heart for out of it comes life. So I want you to think about your heart just in terms of being uh, the central place where life flows in and out of within your heart. And we're going to look at a specific story in just a minute that is about wellsprings. So even though it's about literal, physical, tangible wellsprings, we're going to look at those in context of a heart. But I want to tell you a comical story from the Bible. Like I said, it's fair game 
It's fair game to learn from those who made grave mistakes ahead of us because the Lord has gone through the process of giving us their stories to glean from. But there was a king in Israel's history named King Hezekiah. He was a decent king. He wasn't the best and he wasn't the worst, but he was okay. And so King Hezekiah finds out that he's actually going to die. He has experienced this illness and word comes to him from the Lord through the prophet. Get your life in order, Hezekiah. You are about to, to die. And, and Hezekiah pleads with the Lord and he says, please extend my life. And actually, the Lord answers that prayer. And, and he sends word back to Hezekiah, I'm going to extend your life. I believe it's for 15 years. And, um, and, and so, and not only am I going to extend your life, but I'm going to deliver you from the oppression of the enemy that's on this side of you, which I believe was Assyria. And so when we're reading about Hezekiah's story and how the Lord intervened miraculously to extend his livelihood, to grant him from relief from the oppressor that was on this side, you can think a lot about your own life right now, that, um, that, that the Lord, uh, through this healing process, has extended the life of your heart. He's, a, he's grown the capacity of the wellspring of your life. And we believe that as you walk these things out with the Lord, you are going to experience relief from the oppressor that is anxiety on this side of you. But what we don't want you to do is what Hezekiah does in the rest of his story. Hezekiah receives word from a neighboring country on this side, Babylon. And Babylon says, oh, we've heard that you were sick. We wanted to send you our, our condolences. And Hezekiah welcomes this foreign nation into his kingdom and specifically into his palace, into his storehouses, into the treasuries of the temple. And, and so the prophet comes, the man of God, who's the prophet, comes to Hezekiah and says, Hezekiah, who's been visiting here with you? And Hezekiah says, someone from far away. <laughs> it reminds me of me asking my three-year-old a question and her giving me an answer back. And so eventually Hezekiah says, you know, this is, this is who it was. And the prophet says, tell me what exactly you showed them while they were here. And Hezekiah eventually answers, there is nothing that I did not show them. I showed them all the treasures. I showed them everything that I had. And the prophet, just foreseeing what was going to happen because of this vulnerable situation that Hezekiah had walked unwisely into, he said, oh, Hezekiah, because you've done this, this nation is going to carry away these treasures. They're going to carry away the people that you're leading. And basically, what you were delivered from with Assyria over here, Babylon's going to take you out with it over here. And, and Hezekiah's response is actually heartbreaking because he says, well, at least that's not going to happen in my lifetime. I don't want you to feel discouraged with that. I want to tell you that your journey to learning how to protect, a, to protect your treasuries, to protect the extension of life on your heart that God has given you, it's not just going to impact you, but it's going to impact generations after you. And I want you to know that 
while you may experience relief over here, because you are walking in freedom and you will walk in freedom, you will find that the enemy poses sometimes as a Babylon in your life, coming across friendly on this side, trying to sneak in new places to access your heart, to access your treasures. And when I talk about treasures and heart interchangeably, it's because the Lord tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when I talk about hearts, I equally am talking about treasures, wellsprings, uh, the central place of our spiritual life from where life flows. So this is a prayer for today. I'm going to read it over you as you get to session four in your book. Lord, you strengthen the weak, you give rest to the weary, you bind the brokenhearted, and you heal their wounds. You lift those who are weak in spirit, and you spring forth healing quickly in our lives, and you mean for good all that was meant for harm. You work all things together for the good of those who love you, and you carry them under the shadow of your wings. You are a refuge, a shield, a redeemer, a stronghold, and the most excellent and all-knowing physician. All of these promises are yes for your children in Christ Jesus. So we declare them over the women reading this or listening to this or watching this. In Jesus' name, the wear of stripes by which we are healed. Amen. So if you'll remember, in session Three, we talked about a gentleman named Abraham, and he had a wife named Sarah, and God initiated a conversation and a covenant with them that, that resulted in a promise. And part of that promise was bringing forth a lineage out of them. As we also shared, Sarah gave birth to a child, and she named him Isaac, which meant God has brought me laughter. Because there was promise on Abraham's life that was generational, because when God moves, it's generational, like I just said about Hezekiah. When Isaac begins to grow into his manhood, into his legacy that God is laying out for him, in, the, in Genesis 26, you'll observe that there's an abundance and a prosperity in his life. I would encourage you to actually pause me right now and to go read Genesis 26 on your own. I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm going to teach from it in just a minute. So take a few minutes, read that passage. Again, if you need a Bible translation that's easier to understand, check out the ICB translation, the message translation or paraphrase, or also the NIRV translation. So, Hope that you read that and that you're joining us back now. But to summarize what happens in Genesis 26, there's such prosperity going on in Isaac's life because of this promise coming down from the father that his people are increasing, his herds are increasing, and as he grows in the freedom and the abundance and the prosperity and capacity that God has given him, he becomes a serious threat to the enemy. And so, actually, and who his enemy is in this case is a gentleman named Abimelech. And he was a friendly neighbor up until the point that Isaac became a threat. So, at that time, because it was an undeveloped, undeveloped place, much of his wealth was from livestock, from, from herds, uh, from things of that nature. And when you think about what was central to the livelihood of livestock production, you have to think about wellsprings and wells. If there were no places to access water, there was no sustenance available to continue the growth and the abundance of what was going on. So Abimelech instructs his servants to go 
and begin filling up each of these wells so that they're no longer operating anymore. So they take, they take the natural things that were in the atmosphere, like, like the dirt, that's a natural thing around a wellspring, right? It's amoral, it's not good, it's not bad. We were created from dirt, Genesis says. But they take those natural things and they begin to use them to work against the promise of God for Isaac. So these wellsprings fill up, they're unable to draw water, and it sends Isaac on this pilgrimage of trying to draw from this place, finding it's not working, trying to draw from this place, finding it's not working, until it comes to fruition what's happened, that there's a very real enemy that has come against them because their prosperity is too threatening. And so they come to an agreement, and eventually the quarreling ceases over these particular wellsprings because Isaac says, I'm going to move out of this territory. And he goes into new territory that's actually near the area where God first initiated that covenant and that conversation with Abraham. And his servants let him know, hey, we have dug for a wellspring. We have hit it. We have found water, and there's no quarreling over it. And they name this place um, Rehoboth, meaning there's plenty of room to flourish here. There's wide open spaces and plenty of room to flourish. And not far from there, God shows up and confirms to Isaac in the same way that he did to his dad, I've got a promise. I'm going to fulfill it for you. Just walk with me. Just be faithful to me. And so as we think about boundaries, sometimes setting boundaries in terms of protecting our wellsprings, in terms of making sure that what we are allowing in to the central areas of our lives, that they're lining up with the promises of God, that may look like moving from one place to another. Certainly, there are times where we should stand our ground. Hezekiah um, allowed people to come into a place that was a solid ground for him, and he acted unwisely in doing that. But Isaac was just led somewhere different, and the Lord had provision for him down the road that didn't inhibit what God was doing or what God's covenant or promise was for him, but it required stepping a new direction as he moved away from clogged-up wellsprings and things that were not conducive to life and to prosperity moving forward. So under where it says connect the dots, there's a sentence where there's some fill in the blanks and it simply asks you to write your name in those blanks. And I, I'm going to use my name as an example, but I want you after reading Genesis 26 to write your name here to speak this over yourself. It says in the promises of God, Paige will flourish and her life will be sustained because of God's oath, Paige will grow in abundance. I'll speak it over you. In the promises of God, your life will flourish and your life will be sustained. Because of God's oath, you will grow in abundance. And we glean that from the passage I just talked about where there was a, a new wellspring that was, that was dug once they moved into, into the place they needed to move into. They named it, God has given me space to flourish, and then God shows up and reminds them, I've got your back, I've got, I've got, I've got you, we're, we're in an oath, we're in a covenant together. So at the bottom of the same page, it says, your wellsprings will be attacked, and this is to you, and I want you to listen, not in fear, not in fear, but in revelation. Your wellsprings will be attacked because there are promises of God on your life. If there were no promise for your life, there would be no attack on your life. A person without promise and purpose 
isn't a threat to anyone. If your life is under attack, you are a threat to the enemy. With that said, we're going to bring up my mom, and she's going to talk through some of the questions with you on the following page. Now we're going to look at boundaries. Uh, we're going to look at relationship boundaries, which refers to our ability to speak truth to others with whom we have a relationship. Because as I said earlier, life is about relationships, our relationship with God and other people. We are made, uh, we are relational people. And um, happiness and joy comes from great functional relationships. Uh, to me, when I think about boundaries, I think about being real. In our society, I think it is hard for people to be real. And I think a lot of that goes back to uh, just wanting love so bad sometimes we, uh, we perform. Or it goes back to that need for approval. Or it comes back to fear of failure. It comes back to rejection. And basically, bad boundaries comes back to fear. So what does a boundary look like? Uh, imagine that you have this space around you that's yours, a fence, and it has a gate, and that gate will let people out when they need to go out, and it'll let people in when uh, they need in. People with bad boundaries do not have that. Uh, there are people that have bad boundaries that want to be invasive and walk into other people's boundaries, into areas they do not need to. We'll call them more the controllers. And then there's those that have no boundaries, and they'll let anyone inside their boundaries. And uh, it's like they've lost their self. So we want to find us the real self. And, um, you know, a real self doesn't walk in fear and and we're not afraid of someone not liking us or loving us. So there is such freedom in being real. And also, I think in our society, we're also not taught to, to be real. And often, without realizing, we're even taught to not be honest just to avoid making other people uncomfortable. And sometimes, it's so much easier to basically tell a white lie or to avoid people then in the beginning, just to say no or yes. The Bible says, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be no. It's that simple. So we're just going to talk about some examples of that. And, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the, uh, the theories, the attachment theories. You can sort of see this plays out with the avoidant personalities, the ambivalent, the passive personalities. And as you know, if you're a passive individual with poor boundaries, you let people take advantage of you. You're an enabler. Okay, so we're going to look at under connect the dots. And it says, what people, places, or things have the greatest access to your heart? And also, before I go any further, I also want to give credit to uh, the book on boundaries by uh, Dr. Henry Cloud and... John Townsend, can't believe I didn't remember that. A lot of uh, the things I have learned comes from their material. 
And so if you're looking for a good book on boundaries, I highly recommend that book. And I really think everyone needs to read a book on boundaries. Uh, the next question is, do any of those people, places, or things not have kind regard for your heart? Around what people, places, and things is your anxiety most triggered? As you look at your own life, can you clearly see who or what the enemy is using to clog your wellsprings? And I also encourage you as you look at your own life, do you know who you are, what your own values is? Um, now, I'm going to give some example. Uh, we see here at the end, it said, jot down a few examples of boundaries you could establish to guard your heart, specific to your wounds and your roots. These will look different for every single person. So I'm just going to give some example of maybe uh, boundary issues you may have or know someone that has these. And I think one of the first boundary issues you'll see come into play maybe uh, with a man and woman or newly married. The Bible says you are to leave your parents and cling to your wife. And sometimes that's very hard uh, for one of the spouses to properly leave those parents and cling to that other. So there can be some... Uh, boundary problems there. I guess an example would be uh, the newly, the couple's newly married, uh, they have plans for Sunday, and uh, say the, the parent calls and says, I would like you to come eat dinner with us this Sunday, and maybe uh, the daughter doesn't want to hurt her parents' feelings, or she's afraid to, so she tells them yes, even though her husband had already made plans. So there is some, some, some boundary struggles. Another example I can think of is a personal example that I have. And I think also uh, with bad, bad boundaries sometimes comes a warped sense of responsibility. Sometimes uh, in parents or in, in raising us uh, or in the environment we're brought up in, we can assume too much responsibility based on the role we played in the family. As I shared earlier, my mom, uh, who probably is borderline personality disorder, uh, she just always had inner turmoil and always lacked peace. And I say always, she, she had good days, uh, but as far as inner peace, she never really had that or had confidence. And so overall, she was not a happy person. So me being the only child, thought it was my role to try to make her happy. So I f was always looking at ways to better her life, uh, whether uh, when I would come in from out of town, take her to church, or try to enroll her in a college course. But in my mind, I was always thinking of ideals I can make her happy. Finally, as an adult, and I know this was just the Lord, from the Lord, I mean, and I remember where I was standing when I come to mind, I, I was looking out the window at, at the home I was living at the time, and it's like the Lord told me, you're not responsible to make your mom happy, and that, that brought such freedom, and, and I'm, I'm able to do that today. No, I'm not responsible to make my mom happy, and that takes off, it takes a lot of pressure off of you. Yes, I'm responsible to be a, a good daughter and to be a, a, a good Christian and to minister 
as God lays on my heart and to exhibit love, unconditional love to her sometimes when maybe uh, it's, uh, maybe she doesn't deserve it. But uh, so that's, that's always in order because often in families you do see that where there's a family member that's taking on much more responsibility, especially often in a dysfunctional home where the dad was an alcoholic or the mom and they're pulling more weight maybe with the other siblings. So at the end of the day, you know, you ask yourself, you know, is that something I want to do? Is it something I don't want to do? When your friend calls you on the phone at the last minute and says, let's go to lunch, just stop and think, do I want to or do I want, do I not? If you think, oh, I'm busy, I really don't want to, have the freedom to say, no, I don't want to. And the more you practice that, the easier it'll get and the more you'll walk in freedom. And I do want to say that people will get mad at you. And uh, so it doesn't, so you can't avoid conflict by staying true to yourself. As I, I've said earlier in the other chapters, some people, out of fear of rejection, they want to avoid conflict. And uh, so sometimes when you tell someone no, uh, you may get a negative consequence. They may, uh, you may, if they have insecurities themselves, they may become very, um, upset with you and not talk to you for a while and when that happens you just got to go to the Lord and say Lord you know my heart and uh, you know I'm staying true to myself and uh, just walk it out that way and there's times in our life we may wrong people uh, and that's when and, and that's when we're also being sensitive to the Lord that when we do uh, go into someone else's boundary and wrong them that we're sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and tell them we're we're sorry. Um, you know, uh, of course, an example that's often used is Mary and Martha. And uh, it's real, as we see uh, in that situation where Jesus arrived into their home, you know, uh, Mary was beside him listening to his teachings, and Martha was up doing what she enjoyed doing and doing the right thing. She was cooking supper so they could eat. But she, uh, in her own frustrations, said, Jesus, you know, look what Mary's doing, and I'm up working. And uh, Jesus told her, Martha, Martha, Mary's doing the right thing. So sometimes, even when we're doing good stuff, such as Martha, uh, it, it was so good what Martha was doing. But we need to look at the timing and also always look at look the motive behind things. Do we do things for people's approval? Or are we really doing it be out of love that it's the right thing to do? And I think with Christians, it can be boundaries can be hard. And I remember two examples when I was young. And because uh, I didn't grow up in, my mom and dad did not go to church. So what I learned of God, I learned from reading the Bible myself. And I grew up going to a church that didn't really teach a lot of application. So I would read enough to understand I was to be a servant to all. So I remember when I was in college, some lady asked me to babysit, which I did not like to babysit, especially people I didn't know. So I remember babysitting her child, and uh, it seemed like such a long night. And then she come and tried to pay me, and I'm like, no, no, don't pay me for that. But next day, of course, she's going to call me and say, hey, why don't you come babysit again? At that point, I said no, and probably used an excuse 
Another uh, example of a bad boundary as far as Christianity, as a lifeguard, uh, there was a team of eight of us, and if they wanted to go off and do something, they'd say, hey, Debbie, would you cover my shift? And i say, yes. And I would sit there thinking, oh, boy, I do not enjoy this. And I actually was not doing that to get any approval from anybody I worked with. I was doing it because I thought I was supposed to. So we also need to be careful when the Lord says, you know, we are to serve others, that there are boundaries with that also. So I'm going to wrap this up and just want to end it with saying this. If you have a mask on, take it off. Be free and walk in, walk in freedom because John tells us you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Thanks. As we finish out session four together and transition from boundaries and specific information about guarding our hearts, I also want to talk about guarding our peace and dive into what the word says about how we are to guard our peace, who guards our peace, who guards our hearts, who guards our minds. I do want to make the point that there is this time where we move from being prey in the attack of the enemy to actually partnering with the attack of the enemy. And what I mean, again, to use Eve as an example, when the enemy approached her in deceit, she was prey. When she received what he had to say and what she suggested, she actually became a partner in what he was doing. And I share that within the context of saying, as you grow in this journey of wholeness, as you walk out your healing, as you begin to identify where you need proper boundaries in terms of guarding your heart and guarding your peace, it is our responsibility to ensure that we're not partnering with things that are going to cause us harm. Here is an example in my life. One of my pet peeves is when people, specifically when Christians, talk bad about other ministries. You see a lot more on social media than you actually hear about it. I couldn't tell you why it bothers me so badly. Maybe I just have a heart for unity, a heart for the church, but there's very little that upsets me than to see and uh, that upsets me as much as when you see an ambiguous article shared on Facebook slandering someone who is ministering for the Lord, whether you like them, whether you agree with them or not. So I have this knowledge. I know this about myself, that I will not engage with someone who will belittle brother and sister in Christ, that I I know not to open links of scathing headlines and read them or to read comment threads. Well, last year, there was a long podcast series that came out that, w- that was talking bad about a ministry. A friend had sent this to me kind of in jest because she knew it would bother me. Her intention was not for me to listen to it. It was just to say, hey, I can't believe this is out. And I knew better. I thought, Paige, don't open that podcast series. But you know what? I did. And I listened to three hours of content that that totally disturbed my peace in the way that I knew it would. And you know how long it took me to recover from that peace disturbance? Honestly, about three weeks. So for three hours of time, because I chose to partner with allowing something in 
to my heart and into my mind that was going to disturb my, my peace. I paid a price for three weeks of trying to get back to the place I was before I had given that content permission to get into my heart and my mind. So I share that to say, when we are walking in peace, we have a responsibility to guard that peace. And the Lord gives us wisdom through his Holy Spirit. The word says that he actually is our front guard and he is our rear guard. So he goes ahead of us, he goes behind us. And, and in that, the Lord communicates, step here, don't step here. I knew, do not step into that space or you will regret it. And I did. And then the fruit of that was a disturbance of my peace. So be mindful, be wise, apply what we've talked about. And then on days where you are living out the wisdom that God has given you and you find that your peace is being disturbed a little bit, I want to give you this tool from Scripture or point you to this tool from Scripture in Philippians 4. Everyone knows, or most people know, at least in the United States, if you've grown up uh, in, in sports world or different cultures like that, you have an idea about Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we use that in a context of just about everything, touchdowns, um, taking a test, everything. It's like a go-to verse in Western culture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4. But in that same chapter, did you know it actually also talks about anxiety and being anxious, and then it also talks about rejoicing, and it also talks about how the peace of God is what guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to hop straight to the text of Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. Receive this as truth, not as the opinion of Paige Scott. Verse 4, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When we know the Lord is near, we can be, we can be gentle. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present yourselves in request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then we are told what things to think on. Whatever is true, whatever is knowable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think on these things. So sometimes we know that standalone verse as well. The peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. But before it, it tells us that we are to rejoice, and it tells us that we are to present our requests before God with thanksgiving. So I want you to connect the relationship of gratitude and peace. Connect the relationship of gratitude and peace. I will just say that peace is not something that I believe is given out because we choose to be grateful. I believe that being grateful is a gateway to recognizing the peace of God that is already in our midst and already around us. On the next page, you will see a bold caption that says, list 10 things that you are grateful for that stir rejoicing in your heart. If you have an iPhone or, or a phone of any kind and you keep notes in it, this would be a good place to do that as well. 
But I will say this, on days where you may feel that your peace is flustered, that it's being disturbed, it's probably not likely that you're just going to want to sit down and think up 10 things that you're thankful for. So while you're in a mindset to do it right now, what are the non-negotiables of your life? That it doesn't matter how cloudy or dark the day is, you can give thanks for them every single time. I'm thankful uh, that, I, that I'm saved in Christ. I'm thankful that I'm Justin Scott's wife, that I'm Foster and Emmett and Oak's mom. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful to live in a rural area. I'm thankful that I live in a country where we d- aren't under religious persecution. I'm thankful. If I have those things that I can go to on the hard days, on the bad days, if I begin to get in that mindset, then that's going to shift whatever's going on, whatever that disturbance is. It's going to shift my mind from being in that reality of disturbance into being in the reality that the peace of God is present to take up guard over my heart and over my mind. So as you think about boundaries as a mechanism for guarding your heart, I don't want you also to neglect realizing that the word has made clear there's a relationship between gratitude that we'll describe as rejoicing and giving thanks according to Philippians 4 also as an effective tool and mechanism for guarding your heart and guarding your mind with the peace of God. Don't skip over this activity. Write out what you're thankful for. Keep it near to you and call it up on the days when you don't feel like doing it. Let's head into session five. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 